feel free to um, justify yourself, argue. <laughs> justify myself. All right. Let me just justify my existence to you, Fiona. <laughs> Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Welcome to another episode of Keep It Fictional with the Port Moody Public Library. I'm Fiona. This is Corrine, Virginia, and Liz. And today is I Read Canadian Day. So we are going to be talking about Canadian books. And I Read Canadian Day is a national day of celebration for Canadian books uh, if you put in the hashtag, you'll find all sorts of stuff. Um, and I know that they are raising funds to send uh, books to kids in remote areas, Canadian books, of course, and they encourage everyone to pick up a Canadian book and read today. So if you are reading Canadian today, uh, hit us up in the comments and let us know what you are reading. We'd love to hear. And I can't wait to hear what you all have put, picked. So maybe Liz, do you want to start us off? Sure, I can do that. Today, not only did I choose to share a Canadian book, um, but also a local book. So this was written and illustrated by an author who grew up in Vancouver. And her name is Emma Fitzgerald. And this book is called Hand-Drawn Vancouver. It's sketches of the city's neighborhoods, buildings, and people. Now, Fitzgerald is an architect as well as a visual artist. As I mentioned, she did grow up in Vancouver, although I believe she was born in South Africa. She has also previously done hand-drawn Halifax, where she had lived for some time. Thumbs up from Fiona, repping the East Coast here. And she is working on hand-drawn Victoria, which is scheduled to come out in 2023. Now, the style of hand-drawn Vancouver is what I would call urban sketching. Now, urban sketching has kind of come to the forefront in recent years as a great art form as well as hobby. So essentially, you take your sketchbook and you go sit outside or undercover somewhere and you sketch what you see. Now, the really great thing about what Fitzgerald has done with hand-drawn Vancouver is she has taken her hand-drawn sketches colorized them, and also included snippets about her drawing so that there is some context. Now she explores different neighborhoods and different iconic places around Vancouver. And she includes her observations, history about uh, maybe memories she's had in her life with regards to these different locations, and as well conversations. So both overheard and conversations that she has had directly with people either associated with these places that she sketched or that she's participated in. So for example, she saw a wonderful garden somewhere in Vancouver 
filled with flowers and vegetables. And she actually went up to the door of the person who lived in the house and asked if she could sketch his garden. So while she was sketching away, the homeowner actually engaged her in a conversation, told her about his experiences with the house and all about the vegetables in the garden and sent her off when she was done with a selection of those veggies. So lots of little anecdotal things, but also really interesting stories about the history of some of the buildings within the city. So places like the seawall, the saltwater swimming pool in Kitsilano, the Horseshoe Bay Ferries, East Van's first craft brewery, the springtime cherry blossoms. There's a whole cross section in hand-drawn Vancouver that is kind of a different perspective on the city. So not so much from the tourist path, but more from a resident or former resident who genuinely does love her city. So if you're looking for a different perspective on an appreciation for Vancouver, then you may want to check out Hand Drum Vancouver. And that's again by Emma Fitzgerald. Thanks, Liz. I didn't uh, know she was an architect. That's really interesting. Because I think one of the things I really like about her style is um, like she doesn't bother with straight lines. <laughs> it's like, you know, she doesn't, she obviously doesn't use a ruler, even though she's drawing like um, houses and things and it gives it like a really like just soft and nice Feel, but it's it's interesting to hear that she comes from architecture because I imagine that's hard to give up. <laughs> it's almost contradictory in nature, but I feel that that background really gives her a good eye for um, picking up on those details that maybe others might miss. <laughs> All right, Virginia, what have you got for us today? Once upon a time, there was a magical mountain. On the magical mountain lived a black stallion. One day, he came across a human woman and fell in love. He went back up to the mountain and asked the magical mountain for help. The next day, he found himself transformed into a human man. Going down to the village where the woman lived, he stole some clothes and then he hid and he tried to learn, learn the words, the language of humans, learn how they act, learn how they behave. And when he felt ready, he approached the woman and soon they fell in love. They got married and they are expecting the first child. As the woman grew bigger and bigger, they realized that she is gonna have not just one baby, but maybe twins or even triplets. To make sure that the mother and the babies, they were all safe, they asked the traveling doctor to stay and help with the birth. On the night she went into labor, the doctor, the midwives, and the husband, they all gathered in the tiny little house and they waited. But after a day, the babies still won't come out and the doctor said, we need to do an operation. None of the villagers have ever seen such an operation before. So they all gathered around their house and watched. The doctor made three cuts. And after the third cut, she reached into the woman's body and took out the first baby. 
everybody can see that the baby has the eyes, the blue eyes, just like her mother. But it was a head on top of a body of a tiny horse. The silence, the stillness were punctured immediately by screams, by all the villagers yelling, monster, monster. And the husband had to shut the door and keep everybody out. The doctor took out the other two babies and tried to coax the mother to sleep. And then she turned to the husband and said, you need to go. You need to take the babies and leave. But what about my wife, he asked. And the doctor said, your wife is not going to follow you. You have to go. But she loved me. She loved us. And the doctor had no answer for him. But when the wife woke up, she screamed. She hit the husband. She, she felt all the betrayals, all the lies. And he, she was so angry. And she begged the doctor to get rid of those monsters. And the husband knows that he has to go. And so with the doctor's help, he took the babies with him and went back up to the mountain. And he tried to ask the mountain for help. Please turn my babies into humans so that they could go join their mother. But the mountain remembered that the black stallion has abandoned the mountain and the mountain did not answer him. The centaur's wife by Amanda Leduc, like many stories, begins at the end of the world. The day after Heather gave birth to her two twins, a meteor struck Earth. All the people in the hospital immediately evacuated into the basement. And when they came back out, when they emerged, they see that the world that they know has all gone, has all been destroyed. Now all that is left is a group of strangers that are trying to learn how to survive, not just dealing with the practical side of things, like how to find food, how to find power, how to stay warm throughout the winter, but answering the whys. Why are they allowed to live instead of others? Why they should go on instead of giving in to grief and to despair? And at the center of this struggle, at the center of choosing a path to move forward are stories, stories that their parents might have told them when they were young to try to make sense of the world, to deal with the cruelty of their bullies, to deal with the nightmares, stories that they are now telling others to inspire hope, to ask them to move on, to continue, to give them something to live for, stories that inspire fear, stories that build communities, stories that break communities, all the tales that help stoke or extinguish the fire of their will to live and the power that we have together to rewrite these stories in these difficult times. Amanda Leduc is clearly a gifted storyteller and she's given us this multi-layered story that deals with so many themes, story about grief, so much story about the neglect of what nature needs from us, the story about how the society treats people that are different. Amanda likes her, one of the main characters has cerebral palsy. And so she's a strong advocate for people with disabilities, 
she has a strong advocate for accessibility, and she wants to look at how the stories that we told ourselves and how that determine how the society deals with people that are different. And this is the first book published by Random House that is being simultaneously published in all the formats, not just in print, in ebook, but also simultaneous in braille, in any of the accessible audio book, because Amanda knows how important it is to have a book so that people that may not be able to enjoy the print version of the book don't have to wait. They shouldn't have to wait to read a story like this. And so it was really exciting for her to be able to advocate for that. If you love fairy tales, if you like stories that are sort of blur the line between the real and the, the fantastical, please check out The Centaur's Wife by Amanda LeDuc. Thank you, Virginia. That sounds great. And that's so neat about the uh, different formats. It's like she said, it's sad that that's not a thing that we always have to wait. Yeah. And is, is no excuse not to be an industry standard, right? Like books are in pre-publication for a very long time. Audiobooks obviously take time, but you know, if there is an effort on behalf of the publishers to make sure that it is accessible to all people, then it can obviously be done and should be done. Okay. Um, we are going to take a little break from our book reviews for a quiz. Are you ready for a quiz? <laughs> I love so I a love doing quizzes as an adult. Didn't get enough of that <laughs> in school. Pop quiz. Um, so I have a short list of authors. Um, and what I am going to get you to do is tell me whether they are Canadian or not. So if they are Canadian, I want you to give me a thumbs up. And if they are not Canadian, a thumbs down. Yeah, all right. Feel free to um, justify yourself, argue. <laughs> justify <laughs> myself. <laughs> all right. Let me just justify my existence. Do you feel? <laughs> just insist that they are Canadian, yeah, yeah, even yeah. though they are not. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, this one's for you, Kareen. Jennifer Robson, author of The Gown. <laughs> uh, Kareen and Virginia are right. She is Canadian. I didn't know that. I did. <laughs> See, I read Canadian too, Fiona. Yeah. Sometimes you don't even know you're reading Canadian. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> All right. Um, Emma Donahue, author of The Pull of the Stars. Oh, but that's... Ooh, that's why you have the justify question. Yes. Ugh. I say yes. She's Canadian Irish, right? Yeah. Irish. Yeah. yeah, but she lives here. So, yeah. That's citizenship. She's Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if she qualified for the Canadian awards, uh, then I say Yeah, yes. I guess that matters, right? But, but yeah. does it? But does it? And should it? <laughs> should it? All right. Here's one. Alex Trebek, author of The Answer Is... If I'm wrong, I'm going to be quite upset. Yeah, yeah, he is Canadian, but I thought there might be a little bit of argument because he's, I think he's born in Sudbury, but he's like dual citizenship or outside of Sudbury, which I don't know what's outside of Sudbury. Um. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, Madeline Miller, 
author of uh, Circe and Song of Achilles. Now she is American, that is correct. Oh, I guess I should, for um, the sake of our recording audience, should be more specific about who's saying what. That's all right. We're, all right. Just know that we're all winning. Yes, there actually, nobody's really gotten, there's, there's been no wrong across the board. All right, um, Matt Haig, author of The Midnight Library. Okay, they all say no, they're all right, he is British. Um, C.L. Polk, author of Midnight Bargain. Got a yes from Kareen, Virginia, and Liz. Yes, they are a Canadian sci-fi author. Uh, sci-fi? Yeah. Like, like fantasy, 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 I would say. Yeah. Yeah. They live in Calgary? I think so. I, I follow them on Twitter, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think I get some good Calgary content there. How about uh, Yan Martell, author of Life of Pi? Up across the board, that is correct. What a gem. We can claim him. Um, <laughs> Robert Munch. Yay or nay? Yes. They all say yes. Robert Munch is Canadian. Um, and Delilah Owens, author of Where the Crawdad Sings. That is correct. She is American. Um, and I was, didn't get to look into this, but for Sadie, Kelly Armstrong, is she Canadian? She is Canadian. Oh. Yeah. So there you go. Sadie might actually read more Canadian content than you do. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I actually had a bit of trouble finding a book for today. Um, <laughs> so I actually, you all seem to know that pretty well. I had a few surprises in there. I was impressed. Um, is there anyone out there that you were like, you found out they're Canadian and you were like, what? I had no idea. Actually, the book that I'm going to talk about today, I only discovered that they were Canadian about three hours ago. <laughs> well, that's an excellent segue. Why don't you tell us about them? <laughs> I will. Okay. Um, so my author, uh, I am a big fan of them on Twitter. I think that they have the most delightful Twitter of all time. They do like beading and every time that they're doing revisions, they do like little coloring sheets that they design themselves. And I just like love her to pieces. Um, so the book that I want to talk about is Natalie Tan's book of luck and fortune, which was Roselle Lim's debut novel. The reason why I didn't particularly know that she was Canadian is because this book is actually set in San Francisco and has a really like strong sense of place. So I was kind of surprised that um, she had chosen to write about there. But again, like that's kind of the problem of Canadian literature sometimes or Canadian writers in that in order to be kind of palatable to North American audiences, especially in the United States, they want you to write about the United States. They're not particularly interested in books that are set in Canada. So. Hmm. So that's why it's important to read Canadian. Um, so this is the story of Natalie Tan, who has not talked to her mother for seven years. Seven years ago, Natalie uh, told her mother that she wanted to be a chef. She wanted to go to school for this. And her mother was aghast that she was choosing this life path. And after that, Natalie stormed out of their apartment and has never been home since. The next time that she hears from her mother, 
it is actually a letter from a neighbor telling her that her mother has actually passed away. Um, and enclosed is a posthumous letter from her mother asking her to come home and, and so that they could perhaps reconcile. When Natalie goes home, kind of to put everything in order, she's surprised to see that the uh, San Francisco's Chinatown that she remembers from her childhood as this vibrant, uh, wonderful place is a little bit faded. It's a little bit quieter. Families are moving out. Businesses are not doing as well as they used to. And she's also surprised that her mother has left her her grandmother's old restaurant. So her grandmother's restaurant used to be this kind of jewel of Chinatown where everyone went. Um, Everyone went for the dumplings. It was the most happening place in the entire community. And when her grandmother passed away, um, Natalie's mother decided not to continue it and has been shuttered ever since. But Natalie decides that she really wants to help turn around her community. She wants to change things for the better. And she decides to use her own talents, the talents that her mother really didn't believe in her, her cooking, to try and make this a success. To kind of make sure she starts it right, she goes to the neighborhood seer who reads her fortune and says that in order for Natalie's restaurant to succeed, she has to cook three recipes from her grandmother's cookbook to aid her neighbors. And Natalie has no intention of helping her neighbors. She has a lot of resentment towards them because essentially she had to raise herself. And she feels like her community and her neighbors watched her mother withdraw up into her room where she would never leave and essentially abandoned her to her fate. However, she starts to realize as she cooks these recipes and gets more and more entwined with her neighbor's life and the community there that They've really been there for her all along, just not in the ways that she expected. This is a wonderful kind of magical realism story. It's a little bit, um, if you enjoyed the movie Chocolat, um, it's about kind of like a mother-daughter relationship. It's about food. It's about community. It's about bringing people together. Roselle Lim is one of those authors that, like Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars, like, I will watch your career with great interest. She's one of those writers that I cannot wait to see puts together like an amazing, amazing book um, and really gets the attention that she deserves. Um, This particular title has been optioned for a television series, and I think it would actually make a fantastic, fantastic watch. And I know from her Twitter that she is also working on a YA series, which I'm super excited about. Yeah. So Natalie Tam's Book of Luck and Fortune, if you are looking for something with kind of wonderful recipes, very warm hearted, and you just have like this gap in your heart where the movie Amelie is, and you just need it filled. You just need it filled. Don't we all have that gap? We truly do. We truly do. That sounds so good. I'm really excited to read that. All right. I guess I'm up. I have chosen a collection of poetry, um, and I don't read a lot of poetry, so I don't feel like I have great vocabulary to describe it, but I really, really enjoyed it. And of course, this is a book of poetry by Rupi Kerr, a total gem. I can't believe we get to call her our own. (laughs) Rupi Kerr is Canadian. She was born in Canada and she's of Indian descent. Um, And of course she is the Instagram phenomenon who skyrocketed to bestseller list uh, with her visual poetry. I 
think like all of the books that are the, the poetry collections she has published so far have been bestsellers and just just destroyed the charts. If you're someone like me who doesn't read a lot of poetry, she is accessible, very visual, which I really enjoyed. There's um, illustrations and she, that she does along with her poems, um, and that really helped me enjoy it a lot. And it's kind of um, perplexing, like someone who started out on Instagram, you can get all of these poems, you know, already for free, and they're in this format. and. And, you know, like, I think generally poetry collections don't make the bestseller list. And then she just brought that to the bestseller list. Like, it, it's kind of amazing. And it certainly makes someone like me think, oh, maybe I do like poetry. Her style is very, I would say, direct. What I really appreciated about it is that it's uh, really encouraging. It's about loving and appreciating yourself and not without an acknowledgement of some really hard things. So this uh, one in particular focuses a lot on her history of, or her experience uh, as a sexual assault survivor. And um, there's just a lot of just beautiful, beautiful self-affirmation in there. Um, you know, you can pick it up and read one little poem and it just hits you in the gut. And like, sometimes you can carry it around all day, just this little tiny, you know, like one stanza thing. And because, you know, there's not really a narrative along with it that I could talk about, I thought I might read one of the poems. It's just a short little thing. I dive into the well of my body and up, end up in another world. Everything I need already exists in me. There's no need to look anywhere else. Poem body, Ruby Kerr. So that's of course the title poem. Um, and it's, it's very simple doesn't rhyme and it just gives you a little something to kind of like ruminate on and and it's a lot of positive and self-affirming things um, I found it resonated a lot with me and I think it does with many women and especially young women and teens uh, so if by somehow you you've avoided Rupi Kerr um, this whole time definitely uh, pick, pick up one of her collections and Homebody, um, I think, is even more direct than some of her other stuff. So if you're not comfortable with poetic language, uh, I think it's a really great place to start. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us today for our episode on I Read Canadian Day. Again, let us know what you're reading. That's Canadian. We'd love to hear it. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm -hmm.